Thank you. This morning, as we continue in this morning, as we continue Advent, this is the third Sunday of Advent. We've been lighting the the candles as we go along. The first candle we lit was that of hope. We thinking in terms of the hoping the coming of the Messiah. Uh, thinking like out of Isaiah chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then we move to the candle of peace. And the candle of peace is, again, not peace on, when we think of peace on earth, uh, goodwill towards men, it's not peace like peace, no war. It's peace that Christ purchases for us on the cross. The peace that comes between man and God when the penalty of sin is paid. So we are at peace with God. And then finally, today, we are at the candle of love, the love of Christ reaching out to us. And as we light that candle, we think a scripture that's not normally thought of at Christmas time, but God so loved the, 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 the world that he gave. His only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The love of God. He loved us first. That Jesus went to the cross before we loved him. He loved us. And so we uh, honor that part in our candle today. The love of Christ reaching down to man. The love of God coming to us. Today, the scripture that we will be looking at is found in the third chapter of Luke. And it's the genealogy that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, starting with the 23rd verse, going through verse 38. You know, last week we looked at the genealogy of Matthew. And that was the very first thing that Matthew started out with was the genealogy of of Jesus. uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And again, remember, Matthew was writing to the to the Jewish people. His purpose was to show that Jesus was uh, a descendant of Abraham, a Hebrew, uh, that he was of the line of David. And in the line of David, he was uh, that uh, in the sense of being uh, the, the king, the line of, of kings from David. And so it's sometimes called the royal lineage of Jesus. This is the lineage of Joseph. And uh, today we're looking at uh, the lineage that's found in chapter 3, which is probably the lineage of Mary. Uh, and to help you understand Luke's placement of this genealogy, we need to kind of go back and look at chapters 1, 2, and, and, and part of 3 and uh, look at the, the, the situation as it's going on. In chapter 1, we have the introduction of John the Baptist, uh, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth, by the way, is Mary's cousin. Now, you'll see where that's important in just a moment. Zechariah was a priest. He was serving in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, bringing the prayers of the people, the petitions of the people before the Lord. and. Uh, as he was doing so, 
the angel Gabriel appears to him and he says, your prayers have been answered. Now, Zechariah probably was thinking that the petitions that he was bringing were what he was speaking of. But the prayer that the, the angel of Gabriel was actually speaking about was a prayer that they maybe had long since stopped praying, which was that to uh, the desire to have a son. Zechariah was old. Elizabeth was past the point of childbearing. They never had any children. but And, and so uh, they had prayed and prayed that they would have a son, and it never happened. Now the angel Gabriel is coming to them and basically is telling them, you are going to have a son. And uh, Zechariah is really quite amazed. In fact, so amazed that he actually doubts it. And as a result of his doubt, the angel Gabriel says, you will not be able to speak until your son is born. And when Zechariah comes out of the temple, normally he will explain to the people what had happened in the temple, if the God had met with him in any particular way and anything special to happen. He was unable to talk. He, he signed to them, but he was unable to tell them what had happened. Verse 24 of chapter 1 says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days, uh, when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What she's saying is, is that, uh, in the time of, of, uh, that they were in, if, if you were childless, uh, people looked at you as to what was wrong with you. Was there sin in your life? What was the situation? Was God bringing a judgment on your family? There's all sorts of things that people would think. And it was a reproach in a sense among the, the other women that, that she did not have a child. And she says, God has removed this from me. And she was so thankful. Now, what happens here is extremely interesting because it says in the sixth month, verse 26, in the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And he proceeded to tell her that she would be conceive a son, uh, even though she was a virgin and his name would be Jesus and, and that, uh, this was all going to, to happen to her. And then, and then the, the Gabriel, the angel Gabriel explained to her that her, her cousin Elizabeth was with child, which would be considered a miracle. And, People wonder, you know, they look at this and they find it an interesting little story, but it's important to grasp this because it says that, uh, you know, in, in the, the Luke chapter or chapter one, verse 39, it says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zachariah and greeted Elizabeth. And what it is, is that God gave her something to grab a hold of, which would be a confirmation. See, Elizabeth, your elderly cousin who's past the childbearing age, is going to have a child. And and so uh, she could go and see and see God had worked this miracle and have the confidence that God was working in her as well. And what was interesting is when uh, she shows up, 
it says that, that Elizabeth claims, you know, says that, that her, her child leapt or leaped in her womb at uh, the presence of, of, of Mary coming, who was pregnant with Jesus. And so we see God moving in, in tremendous ways here. Towards the end of, 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 of the gospel of, of uh, or the, the chapter one of the gospel of Luke, uh, we have the birth of John the Baptist starting in verse 57. And then Zechariah's prophecy uh, uh, in reference to his son. And I wanted to read a couple of verses there uh, of that prophecy. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's referring to his son, uh, uh, John the Baptist. He will be a prophet of the Most High, which was a, a terminology for the one who would be the Messiah, the Christ. For you will be go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to the people and the forgiveness of their sins. So what we see here is answer to prophecy of the Old Testament, that there would be a forerunner to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah, in other words, in the spirit of a great prophet. And he would bring uh, the news of salvation, preparing the hearts of the people to receive the message of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we have the birth of Jesus uh, in the first six verses. And then we have uh, the angels appearing to the shepherds and them coming to see Jesus. And then Jesus, in chapter uh, 2, verses 22 through 38, he's presented at the, te- at the temple. Uh, that's where we have the situation where, where uh, Simeon holds Jesus and, and thanks God that he was allowed to stay alive until he could see the Messiah. And then the prophetess Anna, who got to hold him as well, and, and that she had prophesied of, uh, his coming and prophesied over him. In verses 41 through 52, we see Jesus as a, a young boy at the temple at Passover. He was 12 years old, and uh, we know the story well. It, it was uh, Jesus uh, stayed at the temple. He was he was asking the priests questions, and and they marveled at the questions he was asking. And uh, some people get that confused and think that he was answering questions and, and teaching them. But he was being taught by them and answer and asking questions, and they were amazed at his at his questions. And so uh, his folks are returning home from Passover, and they realize that Jesus isn't with them. And uh, they go back looking for him, and they find him in the temple. And he says, "Where would you expect me to be? About my father's business, my father's house." So. We have all of this going on in chapter two. Uh, and we finish chapter two, the last couple of verses, it says, and he went down with them, his parents, Jesus went with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, all these things that had happened, really going back from his birth to now. Uh, and, and then Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. What this tells us is that Jesus was truly man. 
He had to learn just like anybody else had to learn. Think about it. When Jesus was, was born, did you, you know, did he come out speaking and talking and prophesying? No. He came out as a baby. Uh, he, he needed to be, uh, nursed. He needed to be changed. He, he grew up. Somebody would ask me once, do you think he ever fell down? Yeah, I bet you he fell down and even skinned his knee once or twice. He had to learn to walk, learn to speak. All of these things. And it says that he was learning in the temple. And now it says that he grew in wisdom and stature. Uh, the idea of growing in wisdom is growing in knowledge. He grew in stature, which means physical growth. And he grew in favor with God, which means in his relationship with God, it matured. So all of this going on in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 3, we have the beginning of, of John the Baptist's ministry. And it says in verse four, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet. Uh, and this is, uh, I believe, chapter 40 of, of Isaiah. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. That was the purpose of John the Baptist, to come and prepare the way. Um, one of the final things that John the Baptist did was to baptize Jesus. And we pick this up in, in verse 22 of uh, Luke chapter 3. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With with you, I am well pleased. It is important that you catch this. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then comes the genealogy. And this genealogy begins with... Uh, Jesus and, and it being the son of Joseph. And you'll notice it says in verse 23, being the son as was supposed of Joseph. What it means is was supposed means the people thought Jesus was the son of Joseph. He was the carpenter's son. Everybody knew him as the carpenter's son. And so they didn't understand his, the virgin birth or any of the things that came with that. Joseph received him as his own. This is extremely important because Joseph was, by all intents and purposes, the legal father of Jesus, according to the law of the Hebrew people. Even if he was the stepfather, he would be the legal father of Jesus. And it's important to grasp this. Uh, it goes on and explains the, the lineage of Jesus. And it goes from Joseph all the way back. To where we come to verse 38, it says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Jesus was the son of Adam, which means he's the son of a man, but he's also the son of God. Luke is making a very clear statement here that Jesus is both the son of man and the son of God. God in the flesh is implied. It's obvious as we look at these genealogies, if you go back and read Matthew, 
genealogy and then read Luke's, they're not the same. Uh, and G- Luke's ends with uh, Abraham uh, being the, the, you know, begins, excuse me, with Abraham and ends with Jesus. Luke, Luke's, Matt, that's Matthew's, excuse me, Luke's begins with Jesus and ends with the son of Adam, the son of God. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Uh, and the simplest answer to this is that Matthew records the lineage of Joseph. Luke records the lineage of Mary. Uh, the things that, where they begin to differ, uh, where we see this is that Luke traces through David, the son of Nathan, according to verse 31 of chapter 3. and that's the actual line of Mary. And then Matthew traces Genesis, uh, uh, the genealogy through David's son, Solomon. And Solomon is the lineage of royalty. And it goes to Joseph. Joseph was in the line of kingship for the throne of David. Joseph was the legal father of Jesus. He was heir to David's throne, thus making Jesus heir to David's throne. Extremely important because he had to be that. He was going to continue David's throne forever. And so we see that prophecy taken in place there. Joseph, the lineage of Joseph through Solomon is is the lineage of Jesus, the legal lineage or the royal lineage of Jesus. Now, this is also important. In Matthew chapter 13, Verses 35 or 55 and 56, it says, as the people were thinking about Jesus, who is this Jesus we're talking? We know him as the carpenter. We know his brothers, and they list four brothers, and we know his sisters, plural, so at least two sisters. So Jesus had at least four brothers and two sisters, and, and it says we know him. We know all of this about him. And there has been very interesting teaching over the, the centuries, literally, about who these brothers and sisters were. Some of them say they were of Joseph from a previous marriage. Nix that. It can't be. Jesus had to be the firstborn of, Jesus, of, of Joseph's legal lineage back to Solomon uh, in order to inherit the throne. If not the firstborn of one of those other brothers, the firstborn would be the legal heir. So Jesus had to be. Uh, the firstborn. Therefore, Joseph and Mary had four sons and at least two daughters. And uh, again, we see all through this God's orchestration, how he's put it all together and worked it out and it coming to, to fruition at just the right time. You know, people would be saying, oh, Lord, why has it been taking so long? Uh, I think of, of, of one of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 90, uh, in the fourth verse, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as watch, as a watch in the night. In other words, it's like a brief moment. Uh, in, in the book of second, uh, letter of second Peter, uh, chapter three, we, we have familiar verse where it says, uh, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day to the Lord. In other words, Time is different for God. And at just the perfect right time, not man's time, God's perfect timing, 
according to Galatians chapter 4, just the right time, all of this comes together. The birth of Christ, the forerunner, John the Baptist, all of it coming together to produce the plan of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, man's salvation. What if we don't see the promises fulfilled in our lifetime? That's what a number of these people were saying. And and I've had people say and, 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 and look and assume that certain prophecies were going to be fulfilled in our lifetime. And they haven't been yet. Does that mean they're not going to happen? No. Let's, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 quickly, uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is the, the chapter of the people of faith. And, and look at verse 13. It says, and it's referring to Sarah and Abraham uh, as ones looking forward to the promise. And it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. In other words, they, they saw them that they would come and having Acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak the, uh, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it was, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We have that to look forward to. We have the prophecies of Revelation. It tells us about the second coming of Christ, new heavens and new earth. All of that is going to happen. It will happen. And we can count on it because we can go back and see all the prophecies of the Old Testament completed in Jesus Christ, in the birth of Christ, in the birth of John the Baptist, and, and all the things that centered around that. And we can see the promises of God. And we can count on him. I'd like to to read 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. Uh, it, it has a, a, a verse again about the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. I frequently use this verse for showing our how we can be confident. Paul writes, We know. We know. That if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Paul says if we, if this earthly tent, which is temporary, is destroyed, we have, and he uses the comparison of tent, which is temporary, we have a building which is permanent in what implication of comparing them is permanent. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal. In the heavens, permanent in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put in our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now we have in confidence that even if we don't see the promises yet, when we die, what is mortal, these tents, as they give up the, the spirit of us to God, we will be swallowed up by, by life. We think life is here and now. 
But God, God is saying, this is, this is temporary. You will be swallowed up by what is really life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What a powerful promise we have. The promise that we have eternal life will be swallowed up. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And I have people say, how fast is that going to happen? Well, Philippians says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul writes that. But I even think even better than that is Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Jesus on the cross speaking to the thief who says, Jesus, remember me. When you get, when, when you establish your heavens and Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. What a powerful picture we have. In closing, uh, I, I, I want to, to take one look at one more thing and that's in the gospel of Luke, the, the, Chapter 4, The Temptation of Jesus. It's extremely important to take a quick look at this. Jesus is tempted by Satan. How many times is he tempted? Does anybody, you know, this would be one of those times where I'd be saying to the kids, how many times was Jesus tempted? The typical answer I'm going to get is three. Well, that's the ones that are mentioned. But if you look at verse 2, it says, for 40 days he wandered being tempted by the devil. For 40 days he was tempted. And finally, the devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, now wait a minute, go back to chapter uh, 3 and look at his baptism. God says from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The, the genealogy ends with the son of Adam, the son of God. We have then this picture, if you are the son of God. And then he goes ahead and tempts him three times with things that he would tempt the son of God. There's not things he would tempt us with. He would tempt him as the son of God. He tempted them with the, to turn the stone into bread. To, to receive the kingdoms of the world if they would just bow down and worship Satan. And finally he says, I'll tempt you once more. Jump off the, the paraphrase, the, the highest spot of the temple and, and come to the ground. Cause he knew the angels would receive him and keep him from bruising his foot. And, and, and they would see him. They were looking for this as one of the signs for many of the people believe this would be the sign of the Christ. He says, so go ahead and take the sign of the Christ and be this. What he was trying to do was to get him to move past the cross. Do anything but the cross. That Jesus, the son of Adam, the son of God, rejected all of these. And then it was ministered to by angels. As he began his ministry then in verse 14 of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke. I'll just close with this. Borrowed from Canon uh, Dyson Haig. Centuries before Christ was born, 
This birth and uh, his birth and career, his sufferings and glory were all described in outline and detail in the Old Testament. Christ is the only person ever born into this world whose ancestry, birth time, forerunner, birthplace, birth manner, infancy, manhood, teaching, character, career, preaching, reception, rejection, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension were all pre-written in the most marvelous manner centuries before he was born. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Son of Adam, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could come to your word today. We ask that you would make it rich in us. Remind us through this Christmas season. Indeed, we worship the Son of God who emptied himself and became flesh to save us from our sins. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.